I began yesterday my third uh, week of the quarantine um, in terms of like a Monday. And I, I, I guess that, you know, I'm, I'm noticing ways that I'm dealing, ways that I'm coping, ways that I'm feeling um, a bit each day. I think it's my job. It's my job to pay attention to my inner state and to my levels of anxiety and to ways that I'm projecting that. I think um, I made a joke to myself earlier today. I was like, I wake up every day with a pretty serious mix of dread, a serious mix of the unknown and a heavy wondering about other people. This is basically just like grades six, seven, eight, and nine. <laughs> and I, I, I don't, I, I do have that feeling like, okay, this is, this is bad and I feel bad, <laughs> but I, I'm not in, I'm not 12 and wearing clothes that I can, I can assure myself they're not normal colors of clothes to school, but I'm really wanting for my red pants and my 17th Street Surf Shop hoodie, which is like a bright green with a cool surf design, surfboard drawing on the back. And then my Chuck Taylor blue Converse shoes. And I'm going to a boutique Christian somewhat arty school. Like, <laughs> and that, that was sixth grade. And, uh, oh, and then, you know, um, I, I was in puberty. So... There is all kind of like physiological question marks about every single day. And I didn't have any containers for, um, I'll just say my drives. There were some drives, and I don't mean myself driving. I mean some other kinds of drives. And so um, here's a question for myself. Would I rather be in coronavirus quarantine or would I rather be going to Stonebridge tutorials in Chesapeake, Virginia in a carpool <sighs> learning a unique style of uh, quote-unquote classical education <laughs> it, w it wasn't all bad <laughs> Um, it wasn't, it was a, it was a, very, it was a small limited class, um, which is kind of what you want if you're going to do like the classical education. But I remember these, there, there was characters, there's, I mean, there's characters in everybody's junior high, but I didn't have it. I didn't have a normal sample size. I had, <laughs> oh man, um, sixth grade was the first year that I did not I did not laugh out loud. 
constantly in class. Because of the parent-teacher conferences that took place, at the, it was the same school, in fifth grade. And here I was, um, a, a, here I was, a tiny growth spurt over the summer between fifth and sixth grade, and I came back, and I had unruly hair, and I, I was no longer the joker that I had been. I was a serious sixth grader, serious fashion, which I already described. And the carpool that I rode with, which included, I kid you not, a like first and second grader who were thoroughly obnoxious, and then my brother, who was fine, because he's like, <laughs> he was kind of sick of me, and for other reasons, just brotherly reasons. He was kept it, he kept it real. And then there's a, uh, <laughs> if I remember this right, there's a, a student my exact age, my exact grade, Derek. And Derek's mom, I believe, was driving. And, and Derek's mom had become a school administrator by the sixth grade. Oh, man. Sixth grade was it was a horrible time. There was it was every day I woke up with anxiety. Every day I woke up like, what am I doing? I'm wearing, I mean, my true self knew the clothes I was wearing were ridiculous, but I wore them because I wanted, I wanted to be cool. Um, I mean, as bad as that is, I wonder if, um, I won I wonder if it was. If it was like now, I don't know. I mean, look, I was also, I was just a young man. I, I, I have questions. I just have, I have questions about what I'm going through with this situation. Someone that lives in Nashville, Tennessee. I live, um, I live a long ways from the country. I live in the city where I grew up was pretty much, it was in the city. I lived in suburbs. I now live in, and even more, I mean, I've lived this way for, for years. I live in, um, it's not quite downtown Nashville, but it's it's like packed city core kind of. Um, I have a I have a pet making a little noise, pardon that. Um, one second. I live in a house that's over 2,000 square feet, which is a, a, a great pleasure and blessing. And then I live with my lovely wife, and we have that amount of space to spread out in, which is totally lucky. We do not have kids, so that is not a part of my equation. Um, I do not share walls with any other people except you know, for my, my wife, it's not like I live in a duplex. Um, so the sense of quarantine, although intense, uh, it's not, it's not like a cabin fever feeling. I, I have lived in, I'm, I, most people like you, we've lived in these like college dorms. We've lived in, um, apartments and townhomes with shared walls and that kind of thing. Um, depending upon one's personality, but I think most folks, most folks 
are sensitive after a certain amount of time um, to that kind of thing. Oh, 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 and one other thing. This is totally a blessing, luck, providential. The house immediately beside Tara and I is uninhabited. It's for sale. So there's no additional noise or what have you over there. And um, these things are the sort of outer... Um, and we have a little backyard. So, man, I, as I list all this stuff, I'm like, I'm a spoiled, rotten brat to complain. I'm not I'm not going to complain. But that is, that's the reality that I have. And um, Tara usually is upstairs and has a stand-up desk um, that she likes and, and prefers up here. Um, and then I usually, for my for my job, we're both working from home, and, and I will be downstairs and... Um, I use a combination of, um, kitchen island on a bar stool. And then sometimes I use, um, dining room table. Um, and then sometimes I use like a living room couch situation. Uh, so as I list all this stuff, it's like, well, dude, um, do not be an a-hole about your situation. You've got plenty of room. Um, I have the chance to go out back and get fresh air. We have a deck and we have a little backyard. And um, we have a cat who's an indoor animal, but she loves going with totally supervised situation. She loves going to the backyard. And so it's like I'm constantly going back there because she's meowing like crazy to do that. And I, um, I've been doing this now, like a lot of you, for several weeks, the old work from home thing. And um, it's it's physically it's fine I think it's just mentally and then on top of the mentally it's just like okay keeping my head keeping my head kind of screwed on about world events and about you know how do you say it like the national leaders what they're saying and then the state leaders what they're saying and then the mayor of my my town what is he saying and who are the ancillary leaders you know the kind of <laughs> at each level there's i've noticed at each level there's like you know the other sort of like people that are in the limelight who in many cases didn't you know there's like in the national level there's dr fauci and i'm i feel like he's totally like an a-lister he like gets this he knows how to handle it but then it's funny like the state and city level the experts at that level are um not as camera ready and i'm not making fun of them it's just sort of like oh okay this is this is this situation and um they're great and every you know my gosh everybody that's up there trying to keep some kind of narrative going um and by by narrative going i mean you're keeping details about everything um you, and you know you're going to tran, uh, transmit those details. You're you're going to broadcast. It's going to be on you. You're going to say stuff, and people are going to believe you because everyone's trying to learn um, how how to be informed about what's going on. How how scared should I be? Um, how safe should I be? How safe am I? And I'm uh, the last couple days. I have 
I've pared back a bit on getting continuous updates. It just maybe like you, I'm like, oh man, I, I, it's not helping me. It's not helping me to scroll Twitter. I tweet uh, at Geoff Little, G-E-O-F-F-L-I-T-D-L-E. I tweet and follow um, on a bad day. Constantly. On um, on a day like today, I dip in. I dip for like a few minutes. And I am... Uh, I'm helped a tiny bit. And then I think I'm... <laughs> I've noticed that... I've noticed that by far the, the chief emotion to come out of the Twitter experience is negative. And yet there's just enough that I keep going back and I keep, um, I guess it's like, and truly, I mean, it might be 10 or 15% good jokes or funny memes or silly videos. Um, Every now and then I have a little bit of traction with something I tweet. Um, uh, man, what have I tweeted? Oh, you know what? I got all sassy over the weekend and I made up a hashtag. B-I-L-L-L-E-E-V-E. Believe. And my sassiness was, why doesn't at G-O-V-B-I-L-L-L-E-E at gov billy why doesn't at gov billy hashtag believe in science see what i did there and the, you may know this billy is is uh aberrantly hesitant amongst other southern and regional governors to be the heavy on mandating stay at home when he's been like this for weeks 2,000 doctors in Tennessee and I think some others probably but mostly Tennessee doctors were like you you've got to be more draconic on uh these measures there's already way too many Tennesseans it's we're already behind on this we've already there's so many reasons we've got to we've got to get Tennessee safer and mandate stay at home, and Billy just would he would not, and so so you know who it was up to it was up to me, to 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 call him out and to make a hashtag, so um, at last look, and I didn't even look today. At last look, hashtag believe had not forgive the expression, had not gone viral. I have been, I've been, um, I've been doing a little less of the old uh, social media, um, just trying to keep it cool with myself, because I know it's just, it's, there's no reason. <laughs> have you ever heard this expression? Most people are about as happy as they choose to be. It's such a like, <laughs> it's such a cross stitch. <laughs> it's such a, uh, oh, I don't know. The cheapest, most, um, uh, I don't know, jingly side of like AA or something. And no, no shade meant for AA. Um, 
it's one of those things that I feel derisive about. And yet, I think it, I think it's true. At least I'm practicing as if it were true. I'm trying to practice as if it were true. I've noticed, I've noticed that if I choose things <laughs> to make me happy in a state of, of, and this is true, like sitting in one's downstairs working on some combination of, um, oh, I do a lot of like organizing information and, and putting reports together and um, ranking stuff, kind of strategic stuff with Vanderbilt fundraising. If I approach that with happiness <laughs> and do things to support my own happiness during that, um, I I actually will feel better if I approach it with a lot of negativity and fear and anxiety. Surprise or no surprise, it's 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 the opposite. And so, I um. I've had the time the last couple of weeks to do some pretty heavy experimentation with the old uh, I'm about as happy as I choose to be. And I've had success and it's it's I'm still um I'm a student of this. And, and you know, are there times to be not happy? Sure. And there I think you have to calculate into that uh, am I going to be a human being? Am I going to be um decent? to myself and not force something to ha feel happy if it's truly not. And of course that is a, you know, we're in this thing right now where it's like, well, how, how sort of, um, how glib should I be? How, how checked out could I, would I, might I be in the sense that I'd just like to be a little more happy. I can't change this right now. I can't fix this right now. I can only kind of be with myself and I can only kind of work on me and be present with my partner. So, th I mean, that's, I'm, I'm working, I'm working through the emotional thing and I, in a way that I wasn't in sixth grade, <laughs> I'm able, I'm able at my ripe age of 44, I'm able to lean on some perspective and lean on life experience and realize I've been through a few bumps in the road when it comes to global things, whether it's, you know, the classics uh, of my lifetime, 9-11, the big, the big crash of late 08 and 09, um, and, and other kind of more regional events or even like personal events. I've been... I've been through some bumps, nothing, you know, knock on wood, nothing so disruptively tragic that I just kind of spun out into nothing feelings. I have, you know, super blessed, haven't been quite there in my life. Uh, I mean, it could happen any time, and I'm, I'm really humbled by saying that because I don't, I just know, like any of us, you know, who knows? <laughs> um there's if if i was if uh, let me just say this if i was to try to locate my my deepest experience of myself when i'm i'm going deep just because 
<laughs> but this idea of the most fundamental mix of body, face, um, the nature nurture thing, the meaning meaning like you know family I was raised in and um, how much how much of my life was sort of like put around me and how much of it did I choose and that question gets interesting when you you know I left home I chose a college that wasn't near my house here in Nashville at Belmont began a life in Nashville not really even knowing I was doing that in college but that really what kind of was what I, what I was doing and um lived in that you know all this all this stuff but but peel a lot of that back and there's still the question at the heart of it, like what is the fundamental self the truest self and I, the question to me is more interesting than an answer. I think maybe we all have some version of that question. It's like, if I peel it back far enough, what what's there? If I peel it back far enough, th there's the mystery that I, I'm almost like, you know, blinded by the mystery of it all because it's overwhelming to me. There is also a piece of the true self business that's like there's almost like a Jeff way way up beyond <laughs> there's there's this guiding Jeff <laughs> um, this sinless perfect being no I'm not really saying that but something like that maybe though um, what about this idea that there's this conscionable, intelligent, open, open, but al almost like confidently open, but guiding energy about my specific, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. And then there's the me that's walking around wondering if I have COVID-19 on my fingers earlier tonight after I left a slightly shady liquor store. And then thinking, dude, you don't even got to get this stuff. You don't, you don't, you had other booze. You just, you were so desperate to go out of the house for just a minute. And Tara was totally up for it because she's always great. And you did it. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm saying there's a, there's, there's like the day-to-day -day Jeff that's like up for screwing around and doing stupid shit. Um yesterday there's a light bulb that has never been changed i live in this house for two and a half years there's a light bulb floodlight that has never it's always been burnt out since we moved in and here's the deal it is way up high on the side of our house i live in a tall and skinny on a hill the way that the back balcony is i can Oh, look, Tara knew I was doing most of this, although she couldn't see everything I was doing. I got, I unscrewed the floodlight. Here, here's one. I, I want better lighting on our back deck at night. I'm just saying it's a little dark. No one lives. I said this in the first part of this podcast today. No one lives uh, directly beside us. And it's dark at night where they are. We have like porch lights that are fine. Um, I, this is me. It's part of it's part of doing all so much stay at home. I just 
<laughs> staring at walls, staring at the same walls by yourself pretty much all day. You start obsessing about repairs. This is some of my story then. And so there's a floodlight on the second floor, way up high on the second floor back balcony. I wouldn't just hurt myself with a sprain or a strain if I fell. It would be bad. Because it's like, I'm not exaggerating, it's like 25 feet because of the way the slope of the house, well, sorry, not slope of the house, but slope of the hill and then the way that the house is on the hill. I got the new light in there and then the fixture itself was I was tightening the new floodlight. I was so proud. The fixture itself fell out of the, you might know what this is. There's there's like a soffit and eave around a, like, the, like a little lip that comes out over a, like a roof and then it tucks back in and then it, the, your, the wall of your house begins on the outside. For, for most houses, there's like an, an eave, if I've, if I've got the language right, a soffit and an eave. The fixture fell out of the eave, the bottom of the, of the eave, if I have my, my, my lingo right. And then I've... It literally is the fixture which holds the light bulb. It's a classic floodlight with two of them. It's just dangling. The wires are dangling through a hole now because the fixture just broke off. It was barely, it turns out, it was just barely in there. I finally got the new light bulb in. And then and then the fixture fell down as just dangling. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I wanted this to be so, I wanted this to work so bad. And, and I, uh, cause it's been broken for two and a half years and we've never had light. And now that the person beside us is not there, it's just too dark at night. And it makes me freaky. And I get a little paranoid. We, oh man, I have all these anxieties about, anyway, I just, I just wanted the floodlight to work. And I got it in. I got the new one in. I stepped I stepped on a railing yesterday and tried desperately to get the fixture to re-screw back into this eave area with a with a better screw because I had I have a toolbox and I have some semblance of getting things installed. <laughs> I I no one knows this. I got, I was way too risky yesterday. I tried, I could, my, my ability to lose my balance was way too high. And I knew it at the time. And I felt that feeling of like your stomach dropping just once. And I'm like, dude, you are, you're a fucking idiot. If, if you're in the middle of all the other crises, <laughs> you also break your back and your neck for this. Um, I'm just saying, like, to back up. Well, well, first of all, let me just say, I, 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 uh, I abandoned ship. I, I punted. I grabbed all the tools. I had to go back into Tara, who already was nervous about what I was doing. Although she didn't see everything that I ended up doing, which that's a good thing. I made the problem worse because now the fixture's dangling, and um. But I, the good news is I told Tara and I told myself before that, hey, no more with this. No more with this fixture. We're going to get um, Hiller heating and cooling to come out. And uh, 
that's you know in a way that story might have a little bit of true self in it but i'm just saying that's like the everyday situation of life and that translates into <laughs> so much weird stuff i also gave someone an extended double bird a flick a flipping off yesterday on on my street <laughs> because they were just they were driving way too fast and then I was jogging and then they drove in my humble opinion entirely too close to me from behind so they basically like grazed me almost from behind if you've ever had that happen to you it's the most unnecessary and horrible feeling <laughs> so I like held up my hands in outrage for like 10 seconds and the, the person I don't know I couldn't even see if it was a, who it was or a male or female they just kept going I thought I saw them break, but I'm not sure that that was even for me because they, they did a break so much further down. That most essential thing that is me, that defines me, and I, I, I'm willing to say in my understanding of, of biology and understanding of science for the human uh, for the human being, they can't locate they meaning the medical community. There's brain doctors who understand the nature of consciousness. There's obviously all kinds of doctors that understand everything from, you know, the heart to the the general medicine to, um, you know, your blood, all the things. There's like so many different pieces of the puzzle, but uh, are there. But when it comes to determining what exactly makes a person a person it's it's not clear what makes a me a me how how am i having the experience of there's this more true version of myself that's up there and i say up there cuz it feels i mean it's, that's a metaphor but there's like this there's this version of myself calling me out like, dude, why did, why do you got to flip off the driver who didn't do this on purpose? Why do you got to risk your life putting in a new floodlight? Why do you got to go to the liquor store when it's dangerous and there's germs? Like so many things. And I'm interested in that person because <laughs> I, I would like to spend more time with, with that person. I... I've been, I've been doing the more journaling, journaling during COVID. That's what, when they make the movie of my life, it's going to be called the the COVID journals. I've been journaling, um, all not every single morning, but there's this feeling of getting up early and then, um, like really early. Like I like this morning was like five twenty five, and then some mornings, honestly, I don't even make it. <laughs> do the journaling but 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 a lot of mornings I'm up around 5 5 30 and I've been giving myself like an hour of just journaling and it feels so good to me it works with my personality to just write as as much feelings out sometimes I write out um, quotes or talk about ideas of other people or authors or thinkers or artists I try to my main thing is um, just I, I want to I want to get stuff out of get stuff out of my head and my heart 
metaphorically and just get it down because once I can kind of name some feelings of turmoil, name some feelings maybe of joy, name some kinds of sorrow or struggles or frustrations, once I can name them in some way, however benign and I don't, my journal entries are not interesting really um, to me. <laughs> they aren't written to, they're written to entertain at all. That's kind of a relief about the whole thing. They're just written to name and to call out things that are. <laughs> and um, I've been doing that a couple days ago in search of myself. I was prompted like, dude, what's your earliest memory? Like what? You're trying to find yourself. You're trying to find that positive-ish, true you that seems to have been pretty constant. You knew you were screwing around in sixth grade with the dumb clothes you were wearing, and you knew, you knew, you knew certain things you've done as recently as today. Not to mention when I was in sixth grade, and I can. There's like a flood of them fill my head if I want them to. Just things that weren't necessarily true to who I am. Okay, that's that. And like, well, who who is the true you, man? I mean, what what is that? You kind of sort of have known the true you your whole life. Um, I asked myself, what was my earliest memory? I've never really thought about it. But I've known it. I've known it my whole life and it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I think if it was really profound, you wouldn't believe me. And it's so banal. You're going to be like, he's, he's probably telling the truth. The first memory I have was being at my grandmother's in, it was Chesapeake, Virginia, 2309 Lakewood Lane. And the house was a 1960s new construction then. And then my grandparents uh, had lived there for many years. So I think they bought it new and maybe maybe had lived in there since its earliest and earliest days. And it had it had this special kind of kitchen floor that I believe I believe was tile. I can see it in in my head a bit it was a kind of tile with a very focused abstract <clears throat> excuse me uh, uh, it's an abstract design uh this like almost like if you were to chop quartz rocks like small quartz rocks just like down the middle and you could see kind of a, the unique characteristics of a middle of a quartz it's like if you just had like Imagine like four of those and they're kind of abstract looking and then they, but they repeated like a lot <laughs> for like a whole floor, but they were, they were in this tile and it was this unique, I, th I think I mentioned the sixties thing a minute ago. I think at the time the house was built, it was a kind of high fashion of a sort. And my, um, my grandparents, uh, the Hales, they um they were into it man but i didn't come along for a long time later i remember my first memory was this 
gauzy, fuzzy, looking at that kitchen floor, those rock-ish looking designs. And the colors were pink-ish, like kind of a dull pink, kind of a, a lavender, maybe a slight kind of pleasant tan brown. And it's fuzzy. Like I can't quite see it, but I have the, the feeling of it in my in my memory memory bank i remember and i must have been crawling <laughs> i i remember just staring at those and being i i don't know how to say this other than like when you're a baby or you're young or a toddler you do see things that mystify you and you can't i think some of it was i knew that it was just a floor and yet the design was intricate and it repeated in a way that I didn't understand how that was possible. It must have been a, a well, a well, um, <laughs> an artisanally installed floor. And I remember it. I also remember it being nighttime. It was kind of dark and, and the way that the kitchen was in this in the spread of houses, it was its own room and the kitchen was kind of well lit. Um, and then other rooms around it were dark, like shadowy. And I, that kind of thing, I, I can, I can, that's a really strong, vivid piece of the memory for me. It's like the kitchen was bright and the other rooms were dark and the floor was particularly compelling. <laughs> what was that, man? Uh, what, what was it that, I mean, what, what is it about that situation that makes, that makes the memory last throughout my whole life to this point that I would remember that as my first memory? And I think about I don't have like some like art design training and I don't have um, I don't have any real education beyond self-education in the art world. I do care about aesthetic things and I do obsess a bit about the vibe or the feel <laughs> of something which is like everything, a strength and a weakness. Was that floor a... Was that like a kind of pointer toward a deeper self that was... Some of my deal is all the way up through today, I just... I just think almost in a, it's not quite, thankfully it's not totally binary, but I do experience a lot of life as <laughs> faking and authentic and true and complete fabrication. It, but, but I'm also, I'm also aware of, you know what, asshole, everything is on a, axis is on a spectrum and including you sir um and all your coolness <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
there is something authentic, I, I think I could say, about that kitchen floor. And the irony of what I'm saying is uh, it was completely like a made up repeated pattern. I don't think it was like linoleum. It was, it was almost like a picture of like on stone, if that makes sense. And I don't know anything about flooring. So, oh man. Um, I gave some more thought to other earliest memories. I was probably three or four. I'm guessing it's not clear. I remember my mom was around for that particular kitchen floor at my grandparents thing. I don't remember my dad being around. I don't remember my brother being around. I have one younger brother, two and a half years younger than me. Aaron was sick a lot when he was young. Um, just, and he's fine now, thankfully, but he was not, he's had some, he had some skeletal, some musculoskeletal things and some um, breathing things and, um, I remember, I, I guess I just said that to say, this, that first memory was just specific. My mom, my grandma, and me in the kitchen floor. It's the kind of thing where I could imagine, I could just imagine that um, my mom grabbed me to go visit Nana. And then we stayed for a long time because mom and Nana loved to talk. And... Uh, and then I was just on the floor. And my mom was probably like, he just does that. He'll just stare at the floor. And then, there, speaking of my brother, I do have the faintest memory of my brother being brought home from the hospital. This would have been March 1978. I was living on a road called South Road in I think that was in Chesapeake. Um, is that right? actually is that right? That might not be correct. Oh man, it's so fuzzy. I just all I can remember is <laughs> I and someone you know what? It's so fuzzy, but I do remember a front door opening and a a tiny baby in my mom's arms. I don't remember my mom's face at all. I just remember the door opening. And someone was kind of like yelling in a cheery way, welcome home, Aaron, or something like that. And I I was happy, but also nervous. Um, I mean, I had been the only child, right? <laughs> so so there's that whole dynamic. But it was, it was happy, but also maybe I also knew there'd been some complications. But I was so young. I mean, I was like literally two and a half. So, I mean, of course, I would... It's just a faint fuzzy memory doesn't that one that's just a faint fuzzy memory that's kind of anecdotal i don't think it doesn't necessarily mean a lot other than i just barely remember it um and i i'm kind of trying to connect a dot wherever the dots fall <laughs> there is another memory in kindergarten and i i know i went to kindergarten for one year i'm almost sure i did not do it more than one year. And I think, I think this is like 1979 or 1980. I have no, this is so interesting to me. I had to have been like four and a half or five years old. And you know, if you meet, if you meet a four or five year old and I have the, the, the pleasure of meeting these lovely little humans, they seem so fully formed by that age. And, and the thing, you know, I, I was pretty outgoing and had 
I, I have really nourishing, fun home life, and and it was really healthy and played, and um, was just able to kind of. I bet my body was just kind of rubbery, and I bounced around and played and goofed off. And I bet I had a lot of fun when I was four and five. I have no memories <laughs> from that time. I have some. My parents have some old photo albums, and there's a. There's pictures of me playing in the snow or making something weird in the garage with tools or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I did do some of that, didn't I? I? Yeah, it's something I remember from kindergarten that I remember it very clearly was that the kindergarten teacher, and on a kind of fun time, it wasn't a learning time, it was like a fun recess kind of time, the teacher got us all lined up out in the hall and I don't, it wasn't a big class. It was like, it was like 12 or maybe 12 or 15. I'm, I'm, I'm totally guessing. It just wasn't that big, but getting a line, which is normal as I, as I can imagine, we, you know, it's kind of like a, there's a disciplinarian thing going, we're walking down the hall in a line and probably being told to not touch each other and whatever, like young kids. And then the teacher's like, okay, I want you guys to get on your hands and knees as you enter this dark room and follow me. And we're going to all be in a single line. And it's daytime, but it is dark in the room, like dim. And there's some windows and there's some light, but it's dim. And on our hands and knees, we followed a leader through these uniquely arranged nursery beds that were kind of like up off the ground. So they had a, let's just say they had like two and a half or three feet of like a framing, like maybe metal framing before the actual cradle part began. And they were all lined up kind of around the perimeter of the room and maybe, maybe a few in the middle somehow, but they kind of formed like a, a U shape or maybe a U shape with a little bit of like a winding back um, bit. There are just several of these like nursery cart things, um, these, these beds, and we crawled through the bottom of them. So we're constantly sort of navigating the frames and, and I'm sure it was possible to catch our feet on them as we did it. But because you're so boundlessly energetic, a lot of the times when you're young, it was dark in there and we were all giggling and following. We couldn't see far enough to see how to follow the leader who was an adult, but we could see the person in front of us. And I just remember feeling so happy. <laughs> and I think I just was like, this is really creative. Who came up with this? And, you know, is it most of kindergarten just crazy and creative? I, I think. But th for me, doing this, it was like off the chart. And someone has someone has dialed this up to 11. I don't remember a single, as I said, I don't remember a single other thing about kindergarten. <laughs> and I must have got, I think I went every day for like a half day. Isn't that kind of how kindergarten goes? And I, um, and I, let's just say that I went for like the school year. I must have gone, I must have gone like, let's say 140 times. I don't remember a single thing. Why do I remember that? In first or second grade. I was at a different school. Oop. In first or second grade, I was at a different school, and I 
I was learning as a student, finally. I, I'm going to say it was second grade. I'm going to say I was six or seven years old. And I remember it being a little bit towards the end. There's a faintness that it was towards the end of that school year in second grade. School again, Stonebridge. It's interesting. I went to the school in one incarnation for first second grade. And then I went back after some other schools in fifth and sixth grade. But the school moved and changed a good bit. But it was a really small class, um, but always small classes. And, you know, I have opinions, but it was actually kind of cool and, and creative, which worked for me and, and helped me, I think. Um, the teachers were encouraging, and that's really what the story I have to say is. Here's a memory that I have from towards the end of second grade is I was given back my composition book you've seen these I bet if you've been around <laughs> at all they're kind of this kind of a classic old school um they're called composition but it usually has composition book written on the front and they kind of have this old school kind of squiggly black and white and they usually have like a string in the middle of the book and they're kind of just old school and you can buy them at most grocery stores even um but they were at this school they were adamant about like almost only using these I remember that. That's like a big part of the, the, the tactile piece of the story. So we had like three or four or five of these composition books. But one of them was specifically for creative writing. And I, I got back an assignment. And the teacher would take all of our books. And our names were, of course, on the front. And then the teacher would grade what we did and then give them back to us. But I got mine back and I turned to the latest grade on the latest assignment. And I remember so clearly the assignment. It was like write a story about a summer vacation through the eyes of an animal. And I had never been on any big vacations to any like super exotic places just because I was so young. And mom and dad, like I said, Aaron was sick. We, we, we went occasionally to my dad's dad in Arkansas, but I wrote this, I wrote this long story on the Grand Canyon and about birds visiting as a family the Grand Canyon. And I didn't, I did not have, I just made it all up. I didn't have information in any sort of, um, empirical way to know what I was talking about. I also remember that this story went on a little bit longer than it had to is my memory. I, I you know, memory is not always hundred percent, but I, I remember my stories and we would, we would have to write stories. Um, I think most kids do that around the world. You try to develop language and skill and communicating. I remember I, most of the time, stories were um, a chore, uh, laborious, and I would feel, I, 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 we might have had like a word count, but it was kind of like half a page or whatever was what you're supposed to do. And then I remember this story came out of me and was longer by far than the assigned amount it needed to be. And the teacher 
wrote this glowing response to these birds that visited the Grand Canyon. And I remember it was silly at one point. This is so silly. The birds skinned their knees. I'm not saying that it was like Wes Anderson level, like animatronic. It was very primordial. <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm, what I remember so clearly is this: is the teacher was so um, favorable to this and so fawning to this. And if I, I, this is fuzzy. It seems like an it seems like an exaggeration to say that she contacted my mom just because of that story. But my mom did find out. It might have just been me taking the book home to show her, which wasn't totally my style. But I'm I might have done that. Um, I don't remember. Oh, man, I don't. I do remember skinning my knee. And literally, you know, I just talked about bird skin and these, so that makes sense. I literally did skin my knee, I think, in first or second grade on this playground pretty bad. And I had to get stitches that really, that's a memory. Didn't even know that I was going to make the connection with this story. Um, so there's the thing. I remember that. But, but this creative moment is, again, let me just, the, 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 the thing that was, it was just longer than it had to be. And I didn't even feel it. It kind of came out of me. And that the teacher thought it was so good. And I, that made an impression on me. And I hadn't, I, I, no one, no one in my family really did that. I mean, I take it back. My mom has some real creative energy, but not, I don't know that she's written stories. <laughs> and so, um, there's some kind of true self-ish, like little, flame little flare flare that's the word there's a flare there and that deepest essence made a little appearance i think i could say that and feel pretty authentic about saying that just it's, it's just a i'm reporting it i mean i guess i'm not trying to make it happen it just happened and i remember it clearly i remember sitting there i can remember the way the room felt and looked when i got the thing back and the teacher wrote a really fawning note on the story and I re I looked again at how long the story was I haven't seen that story that book I haven't seen it I'm gonna say I, I don't know that I saw it or like after that school year ended I've mentioned this <laughs> I mentioned some of this story to mom mom's like I have that book it's like great can I see it She's kind of like, um, I, I don't know where it is. And one, this is totally an aside. Mom, mom has a, a lot of stuff in boxes. I'll just leave it at that. So we don't know where it is, but we think it's either somewhere. It's probably okay. It's, it's probably okay to never find it. I would like to find the book and see. I've carried this memory for 38 or so years <laughs> it'd be nice <laughs> what if i get the book back and the teacher hated it and it was a really short story and this whole thing is just i i'm joking i don't think that's i i, I actually think it's a deeply true story um because i don't I, I didn't have growing up i didn't have that many times where the teacher was like "Ooh, incredible student <laughs> My main 
theme, especially up until fifth grade, was was uh, Class Clown. I might add a very funny Class Clown. But I loved improvisational moments in class. And there weren't many, so I would make them up for the class. I didn't get in trouble that much um, for that kind of thing. My fourth grade teacher was too lenient, Miss Conley. I would cut jokes and say them out loud. And, and by that point, fourth grade, I noticed, oh my gosh, I certainly lack in so many ways, including kickball, including grades. But some of the young girls in this class do seem to think I'm funny. It's, it's really... It's all I had. It may, it may not even be what I, I don't even, yeah, it's a sad, sad childhood. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm able during this quarantine to spend time with myself, to listen and look for that essence that's been there since day one and that could get even weirder since always I joked with someone recently a friend who was complaining about their parents and I was like so do you believe that we choose our parents um, because we're trying to find the best in ourselves and we know that, that we need we need our parents to bring out the best in ourselves she was like what the hell are you talking about <laughs> um, that idea is Certainly a strange one. What if I picked my parents because I knew I knew I needed them to bring out the best in me? And then, you know, I could say that on one end and the other the other thing would be I could I could drop 50 complaints. Right. And my parents truly were sacrificial in so many ways and great in so many ways. But like pretty much all of us, it's like, well, why didn't they do this, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's some greater self that's like operating up there letting me know dude you don't gotta be doing that dude you don't you don't really want you don't want to eat that drink that I'm gonna do it anyway but the bigger conscience up there gently the very next day gently like yeah um you don't, you don't need to be doing that. Man, quarantine, COVID-19, 2020. I'm, uh, I'm sensitive to a Tony Robbins-ism. Life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. And look, Tony Robbins, he's not, not the perfect guy. Um, but I like thinking about that quote. I think about it. I think about that quote almost every day. I'm, I'm not, there's, there's like too much. There's too much that can be mystical in the way that my brain experiences reality. 
And so I end up seeing, I end up seeing perhaps to a fault, uh, connections. I end up believing in narratives and, and, and stories and secrets and causes. I end up believing in these things because I want things to be true that I can't totally prove. Still looking. <laughs>